Welcome to Gloves and Roses, where the fights are legendary and the fighters are immortal. Put your gloves on and pick up your roses. It's time to salute the titans of the ring, cage, and mats. Hang out with us while we unpack the archives on some of the greatest fighters, some of the most exciting fights, and some fighters you may have never even heard of. As you hang out with us, just remember, we're not professionals, just fans like you who happen to love combat sports. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Gloves and Roses podcast. I am your host, DC. And of course, I got my co-host here with me, Locke. Hey, what's up, y'all? So this is our first official episode on the new podcast, Gloves and Roses. And of course, this is one of those episodes where we are looking to give some roses out to one of MMA fighters that, um, you know, a lot of people may not actually know, but definitely was a pioneer in the sport. Uh, today, we will be talking about none other than Jen's Little Evil Pulver. So before I go into Little Evil here, Locke, you want to say anything to the people? Uh, well, I'm excited for this one. I'm always a big fan of the historic little guys that a lot of people don't realize. Um, it, now we take it for granted that used to not be a thing. There, there was very few of them. And also one of the, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest uh, nicknames of all time, the Little Evil Jens Pulver. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I don't know if I ever end up finding out why. For people that don't know, he has, you know, his eyes are two different colors. Like one of his eyes, I think it's his left eye is like black and his right eye is blue. And then he has the name Little Evil, and it just fits so perfect because he kind of looks like a little devil, right? <laughs> well, I, but, I was going to say that. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I was a little hesitant because I don't know if it's rude. One mm-hmm. of my buddy's sisters growing up had it, and it's per, it's mm-hmm. a is it heterochromia? Heterochromia uh, is what okay. it's called. And doesn't affect anything. No problems mm-hmm. outside of the two, two different color eyes, but... It does definitely give him a distinct look when yep. he's getting ready to scrap. And he's a tattooed mohawk kind of crazy looking dude anyways. But mm-hmm. it definitely gives it a, a look towards the little evil nickname. Yeah, I don't know if, um, you know, I don't know if something like that would be considered like bad or not. I actually think it's pretty cool as far as the look and especially like if you're a fighter or something. I think it's, you know, it's fitting, you know, if he was, I don't know, uh, trying to be a supermodel, right? Then maybe you'd be like, ah, you probably shouldn't talk about his eyes, right? <laughs> but you beat people up for a living and your name is Little Evil. That kind of, that kind of fits. <laughs> well, I don't know. It uh, looks like Myla Kunis, ha- Kunis has it. She's beautiful, really? stunning. I you know, so it could be a very yeah. unique look. Like, I think it's one of those things that sometimes you don't notice because sometimes it could be like green and hazel or, or you know, like where it's... Mm-hmm. You have to when you really Close look, enough. you can see it. But if not, it just gives it kind of this interesting exotic look, which is we. I feel like we respond well to it. We don't even realize why we do. Like, oh my god, you got beautiful yeah. eyes. You don't even realize it's two different color modes. No, that's a good point. Very good point. But uh, for a little evil, so you know, of course, I like to start off with the record. He had uh, twenty-seven wins and nineteen losses. Of those twenty-seven wins, fourteen are by 
KRTKO and four by submission. So, you know, you know, if he's going to win, it's a good chance, you know, based on those numbers, he's probably going to, uh, you know, take the person out. But as we end up talking about later, I think that was a little bit more earlier in his career, right? He had a lot of fights that went the distance, but that's still, you know, good solid numbers, just, you know, kind of overall. Um, Cause a lot of his, you know, fights that went the distance were actually losses. Um, notable wins, Joe Stevenson, Kyle Uno, Dennis Harmon, BJ Penn, Rob Emerson, Cole Escovito and Cub Swanson. And then other notable fights um, pretty much, if you were in the UFC, you know, back in the day, you probably had a fight with this guy. Den Thomas, Dwayne Lowick, Takanori Gomi, Sakurai, Joe Lozan, um, Uriah Faber, Leonard Garcia, um, Josh Grisby, and Tim Elliott. Now, those were not just UFC fighters. A lot of them, when he fought them, they were in other promotions. Um, but, you know, He's fought a lot of names as to kind of who's who back in those days. Anybody I missed there? Anybody you want to throw in a lot? Well, I did want to mention, I think it's crazy when we talked about, like, uh, you know, the lightweight not being as big at the time. I didn't realize until going through the records that Jens Pulver fought Joe Daddy when Joe Daddy was 17 before mm-hmm. he'd ever fought you know, BJ Penn or any of these elite level UFC guys. And to me, I always thought of Joe Daddy as one of the younger guys coming up through the ultimate fighter where mm-hmm. these guys were already established. And um, so, yeah, when Jens Pulver was like 25 and I'm not, look, you fight who's out there. I'm not saying that as a yeah. bash on Jens Pulver. Just to me, that's always, we knew when Joe Daddy was on the show that he had started young and had a bunch of fights already, but yeah, he was fighting Jens Pulver at 17 years old. Yeah, look, whatever you think about him, you got to give him a little respect for that because that takes balls of steel. Yeah, and I agree. And uh, yeah, Joe Daddy was definitely one of those uh, pioneers. He's one of those guys that um, there's a few guys that outside of we're about to do one of those where we're kind of going to go through the lightweight championship. You know, a lot of those guys, but. Joe Daddy is one of those guys that actually it's a few people on this list as guys that I really want to give flowers to that didn't win a title. You know, a Joe Daddy's Daddy, a Joe Lozon who actually, you know, beat Jens Pover, uh, Den Thomas, a Dwayne Ludwig. There's so many guys that's kind of from that era that we can talk about, especially in that lightweight category or whatever that really were pioneers in their own right and, and kind of deserve their own gloves and roses, you know? And almost <laughs> pioneers in different aspects where you got mm-hmm. uh, Dwayne Bang Ludwig, who's always a big name on your record. He's a tough out. Turns out amazing coach, a freaking yep. uh, striking savant. Nobody knows yep. that until way later. You know, yep. Joe's Lozon, same thing. Mm-hmm. We think of, oh, yo- young Joe Lozon, who is – scrapping out some tough wins coming out but mm-hmm. including with his brother on the front on the front lawn when uh, yep. they were children in front of the <laughs> yep. whole family but yeah he's now you got a, joe lozon's got a great tiktok too by the way but yeah mm-hmm. uh an amazing trainer so yeah, yeah a lot of these guys and, that never got the title in these lighter weights definitely pioneers in some form or another and even den thomas you know when other people are named you know he was a 
top ATT coach. He was one of Woodley coaches during Woodley's championship reign, you know, a top ATT coach. So, yeah, and, a lot and of Tom is a great analyst on uh, the UFC yeah. fights, too. Always, yeah. bring, you know, brings a lot to the table. Always uh, compared to some yeah. people that just be yapping on the broadcast, like mm-hmm. I do on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Dean Thomas always brings something short, succinct, and to the point where you're like, thank you, Dean Thomas. Yeah, I like that he does the, um, you know, kind of the, um, who is, I forget who, who does that, um, Letterman, um, what is his name? I forget his first name, but in boxing, he's the guy that, you know, in between where you have all the commentators talking and then, you know, round four, they were like, how, how do you see it, Letterman? You know, then he'll go, yeah. oh, I see it. I see it four to one, you know, da, 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 you know, and so then Thomas does that he is you probably have heard his voice doing that on some of the big ufc cards that's a uh, eddie bravo's old gig yep yep absolutely okay so for titles he was the first ufc lightweight champion and and something i discovered while listening to this he was technically the first ufc bantamweight champion so when he first got his championship, the 155 division or that lighter weight division was a very weird division. It had like a, um, it wasn't just one weight. It was kind of combined, but anything less than 155. Mm-hmm. And on certain fights, they would have agreements, let's say to fight at 150. So one of his, I think it was his second UFC fight. They fought at 150. And it was called the Bantamweight. And when he first won the title against Carl Uno, when they crowned him, they crowned him the UFC Bantamweight champion. The very next fight when he went to defend, the name had changed to the lightweight champion. Well, I mean, it does make sense. If you look at Carl Uno versus Dennis Hallman, they definitely look like they should be in two different weight classes. Yeah, what's weird, though, is I think him and Carl Uno did fight at 155, but the way that they did it was Bantamweight was literally everything 155 and below. But they would have, like, agreements, it looks like, to fight at, like, okay, we'll both come in at 150, or we'll both come in at this, you know. Or they had one where they both come came in at 157. And there was, like, these weird, you know, for whatever that, you know, that, that weight class was, I think they were still trying to figure it out. But by the time the title came, the first title, it was called the Bantamweight title. And his defense of that title was the lightweight title. These kids these days don't realize how good they got it. The UFC used to be such a clusterfuck. It was. It was. It was. Okay, major promotions. He's fought in the UFC, Pride, WEC, M1. Pretty much, uh, you know, anywhere that really kind of um, had really good or catered to some of the smaller fighters, he he's fought there. Um, as far as awards and accolades, I, I would like to say uh, mm-hmm. Shudo and IFL, I consider yes, decent. Yes, size. I'm willing to throw out Titan Titan Fighting Championship. I, I think that's a big one as a nerd, but we at least got to throw IFL and Shudo in there, especially you, the Japan guy. I agree. Yep. Nope. I agree. Um, awards and accolades. Um, 
UFC, uh, I've already mentioned, he was, uh, I'll just leave it at lightweight for sake of what we're talking about here, but he was the first lightweight champion. Uh, he was just introdu- in, inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame in the Pioneer Wing. Um, he had two successful t- uh, defenses of his lightweight title. He actually never lost it. He left the promotion and vacated it. Um, um, let's see. Um, prior, in prior fighting, he went to the lightweight Grand Prix quarterfinal. Um, and and uh, in one, he was the bantamweight Grand Prix semifinalist. Um he really didn't have a lot of big awards like compared to some of the other guys we would name, like a lot of fight of the night bonuses or anything. He did have one over in WEC. I'm not sure which one it was. I think it was the fight against uh, the first fight against Uriah Faber. But um, this kind of goes into what I was talking about in the beginning. Um, when it came to a lot of those big fights, he didn't have a lot of finishes or anything that was like really spectacular that I think would have led to him getting, you know, more of those bonuses. Um, but, you know, out of that, was there anything else you wanted to throw in lock or anything I left out? No, I think you nailed all of it. Um, I would also like to give him a, an official uh, tick on his resume as I, I was obviously would always like to give it to Chuck, but I feel like Jens Pulver is kind of, the grandfather, if not the originator of the sprawl and brawl style. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a, a, a legit, you know, s- state, uh, state ranked D one wrestler. And uh, at a time when wrestlers were strictly taking people down and, and working that angle, he was one of the first people to use his wrestling style to keep people from not taking him down. And that was, very unique and it's a style that we've seen a lot of guys go on to have success with and be a fairly entertaining style in the UFC or MMA period. Yeah. I think he used, um, I just, I think he used his wrestling very well because I think in, in some fights he used it and he did take the people down and others. He made sure he didn't get taken down to your point. And I think he kind of used it in the right area based on the opponent he was fighting you know, which I think is, uh, you know, is really important. Um, now to get into the good stuff, all the questions, right? So the first question, what was your favorite Jens Pulver fight? So my favorite Jens Pulver fight is definitely not the Dennis Hallman fight. Um, that's one that's a kind of notoriously up there as a all time, you know, boring fight. Um, I think the BJ Penn fight is a pretty good showcase of his skill set. Um, I can't say that it's my favorite because BJ was on the losing end of it. Uh, but I think it was a good comeback fight. It shows a little bit what you said, like uh, he got aggressive with the wrestling, started utilizing his takedowns, and I think that was beneficial. But I would say my favorite would be the Cub Swanson fight. And it's a quick, short one. And I I think it's a good showcase of what his career could have possibly looked like if, you know, maybe made 
a, a little bit different choices, you know, with his career or even just in your fighting style. You know, there's some guys we, we see it all the time. These guys that have a skill set, but they, they can't help it when it comes down to it. They just start swinging, mm-hmm. you know, and I think using that sprawl and brawl to muscle. You see, Cup, Cup, Cup Swanson's known as a really, really tough game a point, uh, a guy when he stuffs that shot. He really uses his grappling skills to muscle him over and he mm-hmm. muscles him into a spot where he could put in a technical choke. And I think it's a a real good version of him using his wrestling to sprawl, you know, his physical gifts to muscle a guy and body him and then use some technique to finish it off. And uh, I say that that's my favorite fight because I think that's a snapshot of what Jens Pulver at his greatest could have been looked like as, as a career. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go into the career part cause I got some questions coming up about that, but uh, I would agree with you. Um, I actually did pick the BJPN fight, BJPN won. And the biggest reason why I picked that fight, it wasn't just simply that it was a really good display of well-rounded skills, it was also who BJ Penn was at the time. You know, BJ Penn was knocking everybody out first round. He's the prodigy. And right away from point one, Jens Pulver was able to neutralize a lot of a lot of that. And, you know, BJ Penn actually shot first. And this is one of those areas where I think uh, Little Evil did a good job at using the wrestling where he can and then turning it in the later rounds and taking BJ down and really helping gas BJ out. And as we know, even early BJ, that was in great shape. One of my knocks on BJ is that when he gets tired, he's a really, really different fighter. Some fighters get tired and they're the same fighter. They just, they're just tired. So they're a little slower or whatever. BJ Penn literally becomes a different fighter, in my opinion, when he's tired. And I think that was what, um, you know, Jens Pover was able to do to, you know, edge out the win. And it's funny going back and watching, you know, and every time you go back and watch a lot of these fights, because, you know, I really um, I really felt that like that fight was closer than me watching it this time, you know, as far as the BJ uh, Jens fight. But for what that fight was, who BJ was, I have to go with that fight as as my favorite uh, Jens Pover fight. Well, and now, I think I, it's it's a fight that does a good job of, even though people didn't pick up on it until way later, if people had paid attention, the problem was everybody just thought it was an aberration. Mm-hmm. But based on the points you, you mentioned regarding, you know, BJ's biggest deficit, which was always his cardio, Mm -hmm. Um, he really laid the blueprint for how to beat BJ Penn and just nobody else followed it until way later in his career. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Okay. What fight would you have loved to see that never happened? So the the problem with this one, I'm going to give you this answer and it's going to feel like I'm cheating because I didn't know what order these questions are going to come in. You cheated. But this is my answer for about <laughs> four of your questions. You're, okay, so you're cheating already. Yep, yep, you cheated. Uh, but I'm okay, going to say 
if you look at their track records, very similar track records, same age, bumping around the same weight classes. Um, but I'm going to say Jens Pulver and Eves Edwards. I looked at that one. I like that fight. That's not the one I picked, but I do like that fight. Um, I picked Matt Sarah. And the okay. reason I picked Matt Sarah was because um, he was the other guy kind of in that mix up of things that he was the only one that Jens didn't fight. So, like, you know, when Jens left and they had the little mini tournament thing and it was uh, it was BJ, it was um, Kyle Uno, Ben Thomas, and Matt Sarah. Out of that, the only one that Jens didn't beat before exiting was Matt Sarah. And I think, you know, they're, they're not too big of a difference in size. Um, of course, Matt Sarah is a little bit, you know, a little bit wider, a little bit thicker. But I think it could have been a very interesting fight based on styles. But uh, I definitely like your pick, too. So I looked at Matt Sarah. That definitely was one in consideration. Um, I'll put it out there as a teaser. I didn't go with Matt Sarah because I had him for some uh, – there's some options I like to see versus some other people that deserve those, some flowers coming up. So, But I also <laughs> think – when I was looking at the options, I was looking at Eze Edwards and I was looking at um, Matt Sarah. Even though they're similar in height, I feel like uh, Matt Sarah, he was a little bit thicker guy. And, and I know yep. they're both that lightweight and that definitely mm-hmm. could have happened. I felt like they were lightweights where Matt Sarah was more of a lightweight that bounced between welter and lightweight, mm-hmm. whereas... Uh, Pulver was a lightweight that eventually geared towards going down a little bit smaller. So, uh, but I mean, yeah, I definitely like that one, and it's one I really considered. Just I went in different de- directions for reasons, but yeah, I, I like the Eves Edwards, but Matt Sarah was one of the other options that I was heavily kicking around for that. Yeah, I, I definitely think that um, Little Evil, BJ, early BJ, a lot of these guys were more true lightweights and I think you know certain guys that came along uh you know Muscle Shark um Matt Sarah a lot of these guys that were still about these guys height or whatever shorter than you know BJ the size of them they were so wide and so big to your point they were kind of able to go up in weight class they were they were pretty um pretty big for not like height reach and everything but they were still big for that you know 155 and under because i don't think those those 155 guys back in those days cut a lot of weight so they're like more true 155 and i think the matt Sarahs and the you know muscle shark and a lot of those guys were more like really cutting down to 155 and i think that's why you were able to see the body difference in a fight you know right jens pulver's kind of he could weigh in for he could weigh in at lightweight in jeans yep yep okay so You know, I'm gonna hold this one. I'm gonna hold this one. I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna. No, I'm not gonna hold this one. <laughs> okay, so what do you think about his career path? So it kind of goes into something you mentioned in the beginning, and I said I, you know, have a question or so to touch on that. 
but what do you think about his career path in particular? When I look at, um, you know, he was the lightweight champion, as we mentioned. He had just, um, he beat Kyle Uno for the title. Then he beat Dennis Hallman, you know, to um, go ahead and have his first defense. He beat the prodigy, beat JPN for a second defense. And then he leaves the promotion, which I'm not going to give my opinion on. Around that time and what he did after and leaving the promotion, what do you think about that? And what do you think about that trajectory and, you know, like his career path? Was that you feel like that was the best career move, a bad career move? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on that? So there's a couple of reasons I'm not a huge fan of it as a career move. I like where his head was at. And I like the idea of moving out of other promotions because it's one of the things I love about BJ. That was at a time when UFC was dominating and they were using that monopoly to take advantage of a lot of fighters. And I think a lot of fighters had beef with that. And you look at like a BJ Penn, who kind of was an example of doing it right. He had a similar situation with the UFC and then left and he goes over to Japan or he fights on Rumble in the Rock against some other big names, some of the biggest names in the world outside of the promotion. Mm -hmm. Jens Pulver, and this shows the difference of the time, he gets in a contract dispute with the UFC and then as the defending lightweight champion opts to go fight Rob Emerson in his first pro fight ever mm -hmm. at uh, ultimate wrestling card. And mm -hmm. it's like, huh? Like that's, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what the contract dispute was with the UFC, but if that's the option, mm -hmm. maybe you should have just took the next UFC fight. So, so that's mm -hmm. one of the things I don't like is he went more, as far as taking a step backwards, instead of finding other opportunities of the similar level, I feel like he kind of went from the highest level to the regional circuit mm -hmm. where BJ Penn was kind of searching out some of the more world-class guys. And then I don't know if it was a money thing. I know he was just kind of a scrappy dude anyways, with some, uh, a tough upbringing, but if you look through this whole period between 2002, 2003, 2000, like, so from 2002 to 2006, he's fighting four to five times a year consistently mm -hmm. and probably, you know, have to fight consistently to make that make some money. Mm -hmm. Well, I think where it really went, took a downside is where he ends up with Dwayne Ludwig, who's considerably bigger man than Jens Pulver, knocks him out in the first round. And within months, he's in there again. Mm -hmm. Now gets knocked out by one of his first legit losses to somebody who's a loss that we that it feels like it shouldn't be there, right? Yeah. So now you get knocked out twice in a month. Mm -hmm. He fights again in another couple of months. I mean, he mm -hmm. fights consistently over the next couple of years. And if you look, there's a span of about three years where he's knocked out, like completely knocked out four times yeah, and then still gets another TKO. And I think me and you have discussed before where when you get that traumatic brain injury, it's definitely time to, you know, take the Freddie Roach approach and get out of the gym completely and just let your brain heal. It's even more important 
if you are that scrappy, go for a brawl type of guy. You know, if you're Floyd Mayweather, you can get back out there maybe a little bit sooner because you're not getting cracked that hard very often anyways. Mm-hmm. But when you're Jens Pulver, you know the way you fight that you're going to get punched. Mm-hmm. And when you're just going out there month after month, and I think a lot of it speaks to, it's hard to say it was a bad career choice when we know a lot more about CTE now than we knew 20 years ago. But I I feel like, if you look, I don't think it's a coincidence when the whole trajectory of his career starts after getting knocked out and then just considering just consistently running yourself out there for the next, you know, decade or so. Yeah. You end up rolling over into something else I was going to talk about. So I'll give my answer and roll right into that question. I probably should have paired them together. But um, yeah, I think um, this is the problem. This is the reason why I want to ask this question. I don't think it was a good career move, but to your point, we have the knowledge of knowing everything that we know now. And the reality is around 2002, when he was leaving, that's also, you know, I don't know what month Zufa took over or whatever, but, you know, that's around the time Zufa's taken over the UFC and, you know, everything else, or 2001, they may have taken over somewhere in there, right? But, you know, you figure it's new owners, Everything's changing. Like you said, you're in a contract dispute. Um, and the UFC is still not the, like, you know, Pride Japan is still, you know, there's a lot of things that's still bigger right now. We don't know that the UFC is going to become what the UFC became, right? You don't know that at that time. But the reason why I still think it wasn't the best move, and you kind of pointed this out, I think if you're going to make that move, you need an actual contract somewhere. And if you look, okay, so he fought Rob Emerson in Ultimate Wrestling. Then he fought Taiki Yero in UFO. I don't know what that is. Fought Dwayne Ludwig in UCC. Heard of it, but I don't know it. Then he fought Jason Maxwell in Hook and Shoot, right? Then he fought Joe Jordan in EC Extreme Challenge. And then he fought Richard Haas in IFC. And then finally, he gets to Shoto. So he literally fights in one, two, three, four, five, six, six different promotions before he gets to Shoto. Or like one fight deals. Mm Mm-hmm. In my opinion, if you're going to make that move, especially when you're a champion, let's say it's a lower promotion than the UFC. That's fine. But you should have a multi-fight contract, at least something that's that making it worth your while. I highly doubt that, you know, Ultimate Wrestling and UFO and all of these places were paying more than the UFC especially when, and you know, this may have been a little bit early for sponsorships. I don't remember when they really came into the UFC, but um, just your recognition and what you can make off of that. They still back in those days had signings and stuff where you can go to signings and get paid just for signing posters and stuff. You're not going to do that fighting for, for UCC. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know maybe who was managing him or what was going on. Um, his whole camp had a pretty good relationship with the UFC, you know, so he's of Milich's camp for people that don't know. So that was 
Pat Militich, who was a, a fighter and a champion in his own right. That was Matt Hughes. That was Robbie Lawler. That was um, that was uh, uh, the the big dude, the um, the, the giant um, Tim Sylvia. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Robbie I'm Lawler. Somebody. I mentioned Robbie Lawler. Matt Hughes. I mentioned Matt Hughes. <clears throat> yeah. Tim I feel Sylvia. like I'm missing somebody. Yeah. But anyway, Jeff just to Palmer, give you an idea. They had a pretty good relationship with the UFC, right? So um, I'm just not sure what went on there that made it so drastic for him to leave and fight all of these non, you know, promotions before he, you know, got to Shoto. Um, And then, you know, eventually Pride, so on and so forth, before coming back around to the UFC. And... um, I really feel like he hurt his legacy. And what I mean by that is we know how hard it is to go on a run in the UFC. I forget what we end up finding out. Like when we looked at the numbers, I think either three or four title defenses or something like that is the, the, the most, mm-hmm. you know, at, at that weight class. So um, it, it doesn't take a lot to be the GOAT. And he already had two. And right, the I know Khabib names. was up there towards the top with like three or something. Yeah, like I said, it was only like three or four title defenses. It's not a lot, right? So um, that said, he hit two. And his next opponent probably would have been a Matt Serra or somebody. But more than likely, he could have went down as a GOAT in that division just by re-signing. I think just based on a lot of that, I think he really hurt his career. Um you know, in that aspect. But um, again, I'm only saying that based on the information we know. We don't know what information he had at that time, especially when, you know, everything was still so raw in the UFC. Yeah, so I just checked it out, and three guys are tied for the record at three defenses. Yeah. So, yeah, with he stays in there one more uh, def- defense. And if, if, you know, your big thing was uh, contract issues, that BJ Penn in the UFC, a BJ Penn rematch could have been one of the first big, big UFC fights at that time. You know, yep. that might have been helped a little bit with that contract dispute. That could have probably got him some of that money he was looking at. Yep, I, I totally agree. Yeah, and yeah, I'm not sure why, but I think um, I think looking back on it, he probably would agree he should have made a different choice. You know, um, who knows? But I definitely think that a, um, a little bit of a different choice would have um, would have really submitted him in the UFC. And you know, of course, he wouldn't have known at that time as, as the first lightweight champion that you know, three title defenses would, you know, put him at, you know, four title defenses would put him at GOAT status. If he could have gotten two more and he just beat the toughest guy, you know, in the division that had knocked all the other guys out (laughs) before he got to there, right? And like I said, you know, maybe you have a a Matt Sarah next, you know. um, I don't think Sean Shirk was really there yet. I think he was, you know, more 170 at first, and he was kind of in and out of UFC. Um, you know, maybe rematch with Den Thomas or one of those guys. Like, it wasn't a lot there where I think 
I didn't see any fights that wasn't winnable where he couldn't get two more title defenses. You know, the D- Dean Thomas fight would have been easy to sell because that loss was outside of the UFC. So mm-hmm. if you're this champion that's on this long run from a marketing standpoint, that's a really good fight to be able to bring him in and, uh, you know, get get that, promote that fight that way. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that would have been yeah. good. Now, that rolls me into what I was saying. I probably should have combined the two, which was um, what path or and, and this is why I said you kind of touched on it. I said right around that 2003 mark, right? But let's accept that he left the UFC. That's a done deal. Let's accept that he already had the Emerson fight and so on. And then right after that second loss that TKO loss to Jason Maxwell and we're still in you know 2003 but before the Joe Jordan fight and you know Richard Haas and those fights is there anything that you think that he may have done different not simply just fighting like going to another weight class or whatever else but just in trajectory anything you think he should have done different in between that gap you know, before, you know, he has, you know, kind of that string that he has where he ends up in Shoto and Pride and everything like that. Um, anything that you would have done different? Or do you think he should have done different? Um, well, like I said, the one taking some time after the knockouts, uh, I, I definitely think. The, the only thing is the problem then was the thought process was, oh, you got to get back on the horse. You know what I mean? Get out there and and try and make it up. What I think – and. I was with you at let's accept he left the UFC. And I'm like, okay, I, I could settle that. I could accept that. And then you said, and then that he fought Rob Everson. And well, that's where you lose me. Cause I feel like right there, that was the big career change. And I'm not saying this is shit on Rob Everson. I'm just saying, could you ever fathom now in any world where a defending UFC champion, and I know the landscape is different, leaves to go to a, not just a regional promotion, basically anywhere and fight a guy in their first fight. It's yeah. fucking unheard of. It's crazy. I agree. Let me explain why I said that though. Only because what was it say? The that two knockouts was he like, should have went straight to Gomi then, and then I feel like that could have potentially been a big money fight to where now if you get that knockout, you can hang it up a little bit because I feel like it had to have been probably a money issue. And when you're fighting these small local fights that's your paycheck. It doesn't matter if you're getting knocked out. Like you, you know, you see a lot of these Ironman types, they go out there and they lose for Mm -hmm. a living because they need that check every three months. And I think that's part of the problem is like we said, going off the one fight deals, he probably had to keep rolling out there. You know, you're at a legit camp. Um, He's probably got a a, a decent sized nut that he's got to cover every month. And uh, I think, that that kind of set when you when you're making your decisions purely based on the money aspect it's going to force you into making bad career decisions sometimes yeah i guess um and again the reason why i was mainly saying that had to do with um because he took that string of losses right that was the ko and the tko and at that point in time in my mind that's when you kind of decide as you said you know a little break but if you got to make money, what do you do? I can't say jujitsu because there was no money in jujitsu back then, right? Um, you know, but I think there was 
coaching type opportunities back then still, especially with him having the, the wrestling background and everything like that. Um, the hard thing is, I don't know. Um, and that was one of those points where I'm thinking, and I'm like, well, what would I do if I'm here? Once I got here, I don't know that I really would have been able to play it out any different because once he got back out there, he got two wins and then he went into a bigger promotion. It's a little bit harder to get into a bigger promotion after those two losses. So other than sitting out and doing some coaching or something else to make money, to really let everything resettle in your brain, you know, it's hard to say. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I think a lot of times that damages a lot of those fighters where you don't realize it right away, but it causes you a lot of issues later on, even, you know, get knocked out more. Um Oh, and I, and I think another option, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, like yeah. I just keep having I have all the stuff that I'm looking at when I look back at his career and stuff that I forgot I wanted to mention. Mm-hmm. Along that t- same time frame that we're also not mentioning, he also took four professional boxing matches in a boxing kick in a boxing kick match or a kickboxing match in addition to all those. So you're just out there getting blasted in the face consistently after having got took a couple pretty bad beatings. And you know, I think Dwayne Lugwood's a decent-sized dude. You know, that might have been a good time to not only let your brain heal, but maybe looking at evaluating other options weight-wise. Because Jens Pulver was a pretty physical guy with a good skill set. Never a large uh, um, lightweight, though. So that might have been a good time to look at. I'm usually not a fan of the lose-a-fight, go-down-a-weight class, but considering that he was never that big anyways and that loss came against a bigger dude and that was the direction. Um, I, I, I mean, I think that's something you could have looked at. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I just don't think at that time it still just wasn't a lot of, you know, 145 places or whatever that you really could go fight. You know what I mean? Um, so that's what's, what's hard about it. Like, I, I think once he left the UFC and he, once he took those losses, it really put him in a tough spot. Um, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's, it's it's hard to to say. Um, but moving on, next question: um, Who would you have wanted to see him in a farewell fight against? So this is where I'm going to loop it back in. But not only do I know who. I know exactly when. Let's do it. So I'm looking at June of 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he had got his shot back in the UFC. I'm hoping made a few, you know, a little bit more money. But he had hit, by then he had hit pride. He'd been to that uh, IFL. He'd had some ups. He'd had some downs. Lost to Joe Lozon. Did the ultimate fighter. Loses to BJ Penn. But he comes back. He gets the win against Cub Swanson. Mm-hmm. Nice win. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to seen his next fight against Eves Edwards, who at that same time had went on a streak of losses against Joe Daddy, Mike Brown, Jorge Masvidal, but then was able to come back and pick up a couple wins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nick Gonzalez, Alonzo Martinez. I think they both. Jens goes on to fight Uriah Faber. Career goes downhill from there. Eves Edwards, 
he he bounces up and down for a couple years, but eventually hits that same streak again. And mm-hmm. uh, I think as two legends that had been in the game for a long time at that point, that that would have been a pretty good time to have a goodbye fight against someone almost the same age, similar style, exciting fight. But both in that we had some losses, so we're not at our peak, but we're on the way back to make it interesting. And then instead, both of them bounced around for a few more years, basically uh, just kind of beating up the legacy and, and the brain cells a little bit more. So, and, and I know that's easy for me to spend their money like that and retire them, <laughs> you know, each 10 fights early or whatever. But mm-hmm. I just think looking at their careers and the trajectory that in my perfect world, that that would have been a nice time for them to have a equal match that probably should have happened possibly earlier to that. And then let them both, whoever wins or loses right off into the sunset. Yeah. I, I like that. I don't, um, I like that a lot, you know, the way that you laid the whole thing out. Um, I actually picked, usually for, um, like, farewell fights, I really like picking, like, um, whatever you want to call it, like, split matches or whatever. Um, And I definitely, yeah, I definitely picked one for this. Um, And I like him versus BJ. Um, I really think that, um, you know, the first fight was really good. Second fight, BJ was able to, you know, take him out. But I really feel like there was a, um, a area there. And the problem is the timing. So like, I don't, I don't know that the timing would, would be right where both of them were in the UFC to do it. But hell, we talk about farewell matches. So, I'm I'm making this shit up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would have loved to see it. Um, of course, you know, I, I really hate the the you know the the losing streak that BJ went on late. But um Jens went on quite a few of them himself. And at one point in time he had one, two, three, four, five, he had six losses in a row at one point in time, like right after beating Cub Swanson. You know, and somewhere within there, I would have loved for him instead of, you know, keep losing and letting people build a name off of him um, to, you know, go ahead and uh, turn that BJPN fight as the grudge match and retire. Uh, but that that's the one that I would have liked to see, you know, go down. And just to steal a, an advanced question as we coming mm-hmm. up, uh you could have even just went ahead and made that one a bare knuckle fight too. And uh, I would have been down with that. No, absolutely not. I have one for that. <laughs> <laughs> Retirement match. Jens Pulver versus Ease Edwards. Bare knuckle. <laughs> okay. So actually let's roll into that one next. Who you got for bare knuckle? Who would you have loved to see him in a bare knuckle fight against? Uh, so I, I like Eve Edwards for that one again. Mm-hmm. Um, if we could go at their prime, mm-hmm. uh, at the prime, I like him and Joe Lozon. Mm. Bare knuckle. I think they're both uh, 
scrappy. I think they're both solid punchers, but they don't throw the haymaker as we discuss a lot. You can't throw a lot of those giant punches like that in uh mm-hmm. in bare knuckle. And I think by the time Lozon, you know, knocked Jens Pulver out, that wasn't peak Jens Pulver. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're just really looking for a bloodbath, um, which is what bare knuckle is about, that's what they're going for. And if we can pick them both at the prime, uh, a guy he already fought, uh, but little evil versus Leonard Garcia would be, um, I think, uh, a hell of a scrap. So that's actually who I have for mine. I have Leonard Garcia. Um, because I think that some of the punches that uh, Jens got hit with in that fight, I don't know that Leonard Garcia could have thrown those punches in bare knuckle or without or could, at least wouldn't have been able to throw it twice. Yeah, without exactly without breaking his hands. But then also, um, once Jens was hurt, the way that um, you know he was down on his knee and Leonard was just wailing on him. Um, of course, in bare knuckle, it's a little bit more like boxing. So, you know, you get hurt or something, you know, I can't keep punching you when you're down, right? And I think that um, I think that little evil kind of got caught. I think he was trying to be aggressive, a little too aggressive and got caught. And I think in, you know, giving it a little bit more of a boxing field, I think he makes the right adjustment. That doesn't mean that he wins that fight, <laughs> right? I don't know if he does or not. I just think it would be a good scrap. But I think he makes the right adjustment where it doesn't go down the way that it went down there. Uh, but funny thing about the, um, you know, the Joe Lozon thing, and this goes into, like, um, people not understanding how different the UFC was back in the day in MMA and how with a lot of these things, they would just invite somebody to fight. That doesn't mean that you get a contract. So Joe Lozon comes to the UFC to fight Jens Pulver, the previous champ that never lost his title on his first fight back. Joe Lozon destroys him in the first round and still does not get a UFC contract and has to go to the ultimate fighter in which Jens Pulver is coaching. (laughs) in order to get a UFC title and ends up, I think that was, was that Jens and, and BJ coaching it, that one? It was. And, yeah. uh, you know, it was such a bummer because you know that the game plan was uh, Jens Pulver was coming back off a of back-to-back knockouts. He got one in the yep. IFL, which was a decent mm-hmm. level promotion at that yep. point. Mm-hmm. It was the game plan was feed him a new guy, let him get another knockout, yep. and then that'll help with selling the Ultimate Fighter show. Yeah. And then yep. instead, he has to go on there and coach a guy that just knocked him out. <laughs> yeah. And everybody's got to take him seriously. And that was like one of my uh, favorite lines or one of my favorite Ultimate Fighter moments because of that. When Joe Lozen wins his first fight on there, um, Jens Pulver goes, I'm glad he won. I'm glad to see he could fight. That means I didn't lose to no bitch. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But yeah, that was a very interesting world of kind of a little bit more of those early days of how things work that I don't think people today would even get, you know? 
But yeah, um, so let's see. I'm not going to throw out the grappling match on um, that. I got like, I got three more questions that I want to ask. And I'm going to skip the grappling match one because I don't think it's as important for um, for Jens. But Dennis um, Holman, they go back together in the wrestling community and they had a beef. They've already sold it. In MMA. And by the way, Jen said he didn't know him and he hated he know him now. <laughs> that was literally I, his quote. He's like, I didn't know him then because Holland was like, we know each other from way back. You know, he's like 16. He's like, I didn't know him then and I hate to know him now. <laughs> I heard Dennis Holman say all that beef with the, that was all manufactured by the UFC. There wasn't no beef. It was just we went back together for wrestling when he used to ignore me and act like a badass because he was the big, tough, cool guy, and I was the younger dude that wasn't as good. But there's no sounds beef. Like like, beef. That sounds oh, yeah, like beef. Oh, yeah. It sounds like no beef, Dennis. <laughs> sounds like no beef at all. Okay. So he was just recently this year inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame in the Pioneer Wing. So – you know, as we talk about this, it's always like, eh, is it deserved? Is it not deserved? And we know kind of how things are. In the, by the way, I think for this new podcast, I think we need to establish our own Hall of Fame with our own rules. See if we say, hey, should they be in the UFC Hall of Fame? Would they make it to our Hall of Fame? Because I think our rules would be a little – it would be more difficult to get in or at least a category that would allow somebody in that wasn't necessarily like – Oh, they're the best fighter. But, you know, we talked about it before, but they're like a pioneer in another way. But they happen to be a fighter, right? Mm -hmm. But that said, he's there, deserved or not deserved. So this, I'm actually going to go the opposite of what I usually do. So a lot I've said lately, I think that they this person might belong in an MMA Hall of Fame, but maybe not necessarily a UFC. Mm-hmm. I think if we're looking at strictly a UFC Hall of Fame mm -hmm. in the pioneer wing, mm -hmm. I'm going to say that Jens Pulver would belong in there. Mm -hmm. First ever lightweight champion, multiple defenses, especially when you look at that's a belt, that's one more defense and he's tied for the most defenses ever. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that Jens Pulver is a pioneer of the lightweights in the UFC. Um, I would say as an MMA Hall of Fame, I would say probably not. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you because I think like when you look at, and this is one of those things we always go back to, right? So you see, what they're actually calling it. And so in the pioneers wing, it says commemorating the original innovators of MMA who turned pro before the event of the unified rules. He was definitely an innovator. Um, so, you know, based on that, I would say absolutely. Right. It just, you know, with all the things that you say, and I'm Matt, they don't have his picture up yet. I'm going to have to make some calls. Dana, call me. I need Jen's picture up there. 
<laughs> right? They don't they don't have it updated with his picture. He got inducted back in February, right? So how long Dana did they get me. a picture up there? Exactly. Dana, have your people call my people. <laughs> kind of fucking shoddy operation we run in, Dana. So this is my pledge for Guns N' Roses. I will okay. I know this is going to be more positive and mm-hmm. we respect everybody that made the walk and uh-huh. I'm not here to bash any fighters yes. but I am going to talk more shit to Dana moving forward him okay. and the whole UFC wait, wait, and that fucking shit wait, show okay listen how about we wait until because we, like, we're pressed now right so next time they come here we need some press passes right so let's talk shit about Dana after we get the press passes right so we can at least be capable He always handles that like a true pro. So I don't think that should be an issue. Listen, we'll be big time when you give us nicknames. We'll be like Dumb and Dumber, right? Oh, you talking about a little Dumb and Dumber over there? <laughs> Look, if we can't be great, then I'll, I'll be Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Whatever. Look, okay. Ariel Hawani yeah. seemed to carve out a pretty good career out of being fucking hated true. by Dana White. This is true. Okay, two questions left. Um, one... If there was one tool or skill that you can give to Jens that you feel like would really take him to the next level, and maybe that one thing you think was missing, what would it be? Uh, This is going to sound stupid, especially when you look at his record, but I'm going to say legit knockout power. And... Yes, he has 14 knockouts, but if you go down the list, those are, for the most part, against lower-level opponents and Mm -hmm. in a lot of lower-level organizations. But Mm -hmm. most of his toughest fights in the biggest organizations against the best guys, he just wasn't able to get them out of there while still landing good shots. And, And I know not a ton of guys have power, but like I said, I, I think he was pretty physically strong for being a smaller guy. He had a really legit wrestling skill set. And I like to stand up in his aggressiveness. I think if he had some legit dynamite in his hand power to go with that, he would have been unstoppable. So I'm going to steal your answer because that's not what I said. But I, <laughs> I like yours better, right? What I actually said was I really just don't think he had a skill issue. I think he had everything that was needed for his time. I think the problem is um, going back to kind of what we talked about career trajectory. And I think by the time he kind of came back into the mix of the, the, you know, big dogs, I mean, he just ran into the, the new breed. And I think at that point in time, it just wasn't much he can do. When A lot of these older fighters, when they run into newer fighters, I don't think it's a skill thing. It's something else. I don't know what it is. I don't know what to call it. But the new fighters are just so much better in every area and are so much more well-rounded. But the older fighter isn't bad in those areas necessarily. It's just it's, it's the changing of the times, you know. And I think by the time he got Psycho back around to the UFC, that's just what it was, you know. I think you just had a new new breed of fighters that was just, you know, even, you know, him after the UFC, him trying to drop down and like, okay, 
me go down to 145. Let me go to WEC. Then you run into, you know, the Uriah Favors. Yeah, he got one on Cub Swanson. But, you know, Leonard Garcia, he runs into just the, these different new guys. And I think that's what hit him more than anything. But when you said what you said, I have to agree with you. So I'm going to change my answer to he. I absolutely wrote he needed some knockout power. <laughs> of course. Of course he did. <laughs> You okay. just edit out that whole thing and just <laughs> yeah, wrap it up and say, you know what? I think he could have really used the power. To. Matter of fact, I'm gonna edit in the way where I put mine before yours, and I'm gonna I'm gonna like dub over and I'm gonna be like, hey, I'm gonna go first this time, and I'm gonna say mine, and then by the time you say yours, and I'm gonna go at the end, I'm be like, hey, you stole what I just said, and then it sound like I'm a genius. Like I'm that? going with knockout power. Why don't you go into some detail about what I said earlier? <laughs> Okay, last thing, and this is kind of an open question. Um, anything, and, and I think this is one of the things I recently added to um, to our Gloves and Roses, you know, episodes. But, you know, going back through the archives, it's always interesting things that you end up finding or seeing or whatever. It may have to do with that fighter. It may not. But you figure you see certain things going back through their fights like, you know, me mentioning technically he was the first Bantamweight champion, right? Um, or even like fighting at Bantamweight, sometimes at 150. Both fighters weighing at 150, sometimes 155, sometimes 157. It's like this whole weird thing when I was watching his fights. But um, anything that kind of, you know, jumped out that you going back and watching some of his fights. Again, with him, with the promotion, anything like that, other than the shitty production. <laughs> uh no I, I will say one of the things i didn't realize is that i had historically from memory wrote off jens pulver as a guy that was a ufc guy and then went and did smaller shows for a while and then came back from the ufc in a struggle for a while and i was really surprised you know doing some research and reading up for this one the amount of major organizations. I feel like he has to be mm -hmm. one of the closest. If he'd have got in on some of that Showtime shit, like the Elite yeah. XC and Strike Force. But when you're looking mm -hmm. at the IFL, the WEC, Pride, uh, Shudo, One, UFC, um, that's a huge percentage of all yeah. of the major promotions. And yeah, maybe he wasn't at his best at all of them. And maybe I am an IFL slappy, and I dig that. So I put that mm -hmm. up there as a, a higher promotion. But I just didn't realize how much time he had spent in uh, a lot of the major promotions. Um, and that was I, – I, I just always assumed a, a lot more regional circuit. I expected to see a lot more King of the Cage and Wild Bill's Fight Night than I did, mm -hmm. you know, Pride and One and Shudo. No, you're right. He definitely um... – and as I mentioned, when you threw those out, I definitely should have had those up there with uh, his major promotions because I, I do put those up there, um, you know, as um, because I put, you know, promotions like WEC in there. It's hard for me to put that in there if I don't put a Shoto in there, right? Because I think they're, you know, of similar caliber. This Shoto was mostly in either Japan or Brazil or whatever, right? They had that. It was like those top fighters before they made it to a UFC or a Prada or whatever. So they were really good, tough promotions 
in my opinion. So they deserve to go up there. But yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, so a couple other things that I discovered. One, I thought his nickname was always Little Evil. His first nickname that they called out in a UFC fight was Jens the Pulverizer Pulver. <laughs> Listen, just top five worst nicknames. <laughs> Look, I get the wordplay. Not no, good, though. No, terrible. Oh, man. But yeah, other than that, just kind of the, the bantamweight stuff and some of the other things. And again, this is why a lot of this stuff is good. It's not just for our audience or whatever, for them to go back and discover stuff and watch old fights or whatever. But we get a lot out of it. And, you know, as I mentioned on here before, I started watching, uh, you know, MMA somewhere around 2001, 2002-ish. It was around the time, you know, Zufa took over. I wasn't one of those guys that was watching it in 92 or whenever when it started. I didn't even, I had never even heard of it, right? So um, going back, especially for some of the guys like him that really had been fighting well before this and having a chance to go back and watch some of those early fights, um, you know, you really, you get a whole different perspective of things. And um, I love watching it um, and not having to go back, you know, which I have before, but not since we've been doing the podcast, but going way, way back to, you know, the Hoist Gracies and those guys. But for guys that still fought in the modern era, but started their careers in that pioneer era and going back and watching some of those fights, um, I really learn a lot each time I go back. Yeah, but before um, anything to say, before I go back through, you know, the usual worst accolades, everything like that, anything else you wanted to throw in, like any questions you really wanted me to ask and I didn't ask or anything like that? You know, I like nicknames at the front as opposed to the middle. What if we'd have went, does it make it any better if we'd have went, Pulverizing Jen's Pulver or Pulverizer Jen's Pulver instead of Jen's Pulverizer Pulver. Little Evil. He he will only forever be known as Little Evil. It, it's it. only ironic that that's the fact you had because one of the first things I had is it's one of the the best and most fitting nicknames. Yes. yes. Ironically, started off with one much worse. Yes, that's why I saved it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Again, this episode was about Jen's little evil pulver and, uh, you know, just kind of run back through what he's done. Wins, 27 wins, 19 losses. He's fought Joe Deddy, Kyle Uno, Dennis Holman, BJ Penn, Rob Emerson, Cole Escovito, Cub Swanson, Den Thomas, Dwayne Bang Ludwig, Takanori Gomi, Sakurai. Joe Lozon, Uriah Faber, Leonard Garcia, Josh Crispy, and Tim Elliott. Uh, again, you know, from 145 to 150, it's a lot of the big, big names in particular when he was fighting. Uh, UFC titles, officially, I think they only have him listed as the first lightweight champion, but technically he was the first bantamweight and lightweight champion. Major promotions, UFC, Pride, WEC, One, Shoto, IFL. Um, awards and accolades. He was inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. 
uh, in the Pioneer Wing this year, 2023. Uh, again, UFC lightweight champion, two successful title defenses, the first champion. Um, he was a Pride Grand Prix uh, quarterfinalist and a one uh, Grand Prix semifinalist. Um, and, you know, really, and I think Locke hit the, the nail on the head with this one. I really do consider him a pioneer. And unfortunately, with a lot of the pioneers, especially back in the day, when a lot of guys just fought because they loved to fight, and the records didn't mean a whole lot. And, you know, the injuries, the concussions, so many things didn't mean as much to them as much as it was going out there fighting and actually getting paid to fight. I think if they had the mentality of some of the guys of today, we really don't even know what they could be. So I think when you look at some of these records, the records are deceptive because the whole point now isn't just having the best record. You know, nowadays, the things that guys won't fight through and, and don't me, get me wrong. I'm not blaming the new guys. I think it's better. I just think we have to understand what the old guys were going through when we go back and look, you know, fighting with concussions, fighting with breaks and sprains and so many other things that you just wouldn't even fight with today or even the fact that back then, for a lot of these fights, you didn't even have to be medically clear. How many fights do we see not go through because a guy goes through a physical and something's wrong? He's not medically clear, right? So um, hats off to Jens Pover. Um, again, love the the nickname, Little Evo, and uh, definitely a pioneer. Anything else you want to throw in there, Locke? No, I think that's it. All right. So you've been listening to the new Gloves and Roses podcast. Thank you for coming. Listen again. We've hung up our gloves and given out our roses. Remember, legends never truly retire. The spirit of the fight lives on with us and is forever cemented in the archives. Thank you for going down this warrior's journey with Gloves and Roses. We'll see you on the next one.